This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. I'm an editorial assistant here at Slate, and I'm your host for this season of Working. For the past few episodes, we've been focusing on influencers, taking a deep dive into an industry that's changed from one that was really only understood by teens to one that's now covered by journalists at The New York Times and The Atlantic. This week for our final episode, we're joined by Jess Hunnisham. She's the co-founder of Shine Influencers, which is one of the first talent agencies solely devoted to social influencers. She and her business partner, Emily Ward, launched their company in January 2015 as Shine PR. But they really quickly realized there was a gap between brands and influencers that needed to be bridged. By November of that year, Shine Influencers have been born, and since then, they've expanded from a four-person team ran out of Justice Condo to having offices in LA, Montreal, and Toronto. As one of the first to try and professionalize the wild bus of influencers, Jess has a really great perspective on how the industry has changed over the past few years. Our conversation ranged from talking about what it's like to start a business to how brands have changed in their approach to influencers. What's your name and what do you do? My name's Jess Hunnishan. I'm originally from Melbourne, but I currently balance myself between Toronto and LA. Um, and I run, I co-founded Shine Influences, which is a talent management agency. So I, from the beginning, kind of wanted to get someone from the talent management perspective because I was really curious if there's kind of a difference between talent manager for influencers, which is this new space and what we typically think of of talent managers, which is like celebrities. Right. It's super different. Um, And in my, I want to say previous life, because it doesn't seem like something that I did, um, (laughs) but I I worked in entertainment. So I manage actors and actresses in television in Australia. So I have a really good understanding of what that part looks like. And it's super fun, but very different. So with social talent, who Shine represents, so you're looking at bloggers, Instagrammers, YouTubers, they've kind of gone out and forged these career paths for themselves. So they have a very different understanding of like what that looks like. I think in this space as well, you don't necessarily have to have an agent. Whereas as an actor, it's really like you strive to get an agent. And once you do, it's a real accolade for you. So you don't find many, unless you're, like Bill Murray, you don't (laughs) find people who are just like these like freelance actors who are out there like forging their own way. So with social talent, it's kind of different in that respect. So there are a lot of people out there who are self-managed, which means it's essentially the wild west. So Mm. anything goes, there's no standardization. (laughs) I don't know, I guess a bit of a clusterfuck at times. So what that means is that, you know, there are agencies that are representing more and more talent. And I think that's helping to standardize the whole industry. So I think what we'll find in, you know, within the next, I want to say year or two, honestly, we're going to find that both brands and other agencies are 
preferring to work only with talent who are managed because there's just a, an extra layer of support there. They know that the, the talent management agency is going to see the project through in a really strong way and it's going to be a huge support to them. Tell me a little bit more about that kind of Wild West vibe. What are the benefits of, I guess, living a Wild West vibe and of having versus having an agent? So what we're finding, the major difference is with an agent, you're going to pay a fee. So you'll typically pay a 20% agency fee to your management company. But I mean, how I like to look at it is that really we should be acting as an extension of your team. So whilst we are taking a 20% commission, one, we're obviously bringing you a lot of opportunity, but we're also taking away a huge amount off your plate. So you're as the talent, you're no longer managing, you know, the back and forth between the agencies, the contract negotiations, the invoicing, all of that stuff that they're not really there to do, right? Like they're there to create content and, you know, cultivate this environment with their communities or cultivate a community. I should say. So what happens by taking all of those things off your plate, you're able to reinvest that time back into your platform, whether that, you know, blog, YouTube, Instagram, whatever it is. So you're able to reinvest that, cultivate an even stronger connection with your audience so that what ends up happening is the overall value of your account just skyrockets because you're so in the part that you came there for, right? Like, no content creator became a fashion blogger because they loved like chasing up clients for invoices, <laughs> right? Like that's not what they're there for. You know, that's the major difference that you're going to see. And I think now also like brands see that social talent who have a an, an agent are just a little more elevated. They've kind of taken it to the next level. Like they're really serious about this and this is their career and it is a career. And I think, you know, often people look at influencers kind of like, oh, like I feel the word influencer even has like a bit of a bad reputation. Um, but I mean, I, like I'm entrepreneurial in spirit. So I like to look at them as they're all entrepreneurs. They're all people who have built a brand out of literally nothing and have been able to make it into a career for themselves. So I think that's like really exciting and something that should be celebrated. But yeah, it, uh, it gets a bad, bad rep sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's a lot of people who do it really badly, honestly. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's, that's where it comes from. So you'll find influencers who have like bought followers, for example, who are in these like comment pods where they each like comment on each other's photos. I feel like everyone right now like, is battling the algorithm. Like it's like, I mean, if I like I hear the word algorithm like 50 times a day, like I, <laughs> I, I dream about the algorithm. So it's something that like, you know, talent are just so fixated on it sometimes that it, you know, they're like, you know what, I just need to buy some likes and buy some followers. So what happens there is that when they do a collaboration with a brand, it doesn't translate, of course, because it's a you know, it's a fraudulent audience. So I, I think that's predominantly where it comes from. And I think, you know, we have these like big, big celebrities. I'm not going to name names, but, <laughs> you know, there are people who are promoting things like flat tummy tees where these is beautiful, like Glamazon models. And you're like, you're not using this flat tummy tee. Like you're beautiful. <laughs> you, you have a trainer and you have a dietitian and you have a chef and you have all of these things at your disposal. So, People look at it and I think consumers are so savvy now. Like they they have to be because they have to navigate all of these different marketing channels that, you know, are constantly being thrust at them. So I think what happens is they're like, wait, 
they can call bullshit, you know? Like, they're like, that's not true. I know you don't drink that. Or, you know, they'll see a celebrity, like, I know you're not using that drugstore product. You're like, you're going to like the best facialist in New York or LA, you know? Like that's, we know that's what they're doing. And that's why they have beautiful skin, not because they're using drugstore product. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's so much of why I think I got turned off. Some of the influencers that I followed, I was kind of, I was like, you're lying to me. And there's there's a knowledge when you're on Instagram that you're being sold something. Like, it's a free platform. Of course, they're selling you something. But for sure, at least sell it to me in a way that is convincing. Right. But I honestly, I think that's also kind of like on the flip side, the most exciting thing about this space is that as consumers, we have the power to make those decisions. So if an influencer is out there, and that's, you know, we talk about this a lot internally with our team. If an influencer is, you know, constantly pushing these products that their audience is like, you don't use this. And I know that. And I can see through it because I I follow you and I'm actually like engaged in your life and what you do day to day. So if then you throw in at something that's so off brand, they leave. And the one commodity that they have, that they have to have is the trust of their audience. So once you lose that, for lack of better words, like you're fucked (laughs) (laughs) so like if you lose that like sure you might get like a quick payout for one brand and you know you get a quick hit of cash but then you lose all of these future opportunities it doesn't translate for the brand you lose your audience you lose their trust and then what do you have then you kind of have these like empty followers who don't believe what you say and at the end of the day brands are wanting to work with you because they want to drive sales or they want to drive brand awareness so that's what we need to be you know we need to be mindful of as agents Like when we look at a campaign, we'll say no. Most of our talent will say no more times than they say yes, because like it doesn't align. And, you know, we're obviously super particular in terms of who we bring on in an exclusive capacity. But as I said, they'll say no more times than they say yes, because like it doesn't align. And that's where I think, you know, there's the benefit to brands working with an agency because we can say, you know what, it doesn't align for this talent but it could actually be a really good fit for this person. So we can kind of offer, you know, like a nice full service alternative for them. So they're not just like left out in the dark. I'm curious about how you choose the influencers that you bring on as we talk about people inflating their numbers or not having an authentic connection with their audience. I'm curious as to how you suss that out. So many ways. So like when we onboard talent, there's a really lengthy process that we go through. And honestly, a lot of it is just in conversation. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and I'm like, tell me why you started your blog. And what I'm hoping to hear is like, you know, when I was in high school, everyone borrowed my clothes. I, I was kind of the person that everyone went to for fashion advice. So I was just like, I was already influential within my own network. Um, and someone like really pushed me to start a blog and asked me to post my outfits. So I did, and it kind of just went from there and it organically grew. So that's what I look for. You know, people that make, it came from a very real place. However, what I hear a lot of is like, I just love fashion. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Like, give me more. Like, why? What do you love about it? Like, do you love to thrift? Like, give me more. And like, yeah, I just like, just love fashion. Like, yes, same. But like, that's not (laughs) enough. So, so it's, it's in the conversation that we're able to, I'm kind of like, is this a real person? And, and, you know, we have a team who, you know, they like a team of talent managers who out there kind of on the ground, they're always casting. I always like to be a part of that conversation because I think it's so important. So that's one element of it. The other is of course, looking at their analytics. So we're doing a browse through, but not just like high level, how many followers do you have? Like we're looking at engagement 
engagement levels. We're looking at how many comments they're getting, but like what the comments are. So if it's people just like you, I can, I can see if it's like a comment pod comment or if it's someone who's truly engaging. And then of course, you know, we're looking at different categories. So right now, something that's so important to us as an agency, and I think just like in society is important. So we want to support it is like the whole body positivity movement. So we have a couple of talent who have been doing that for years. um, And it's really coming to like the forefront of the media in general right now. So that's like, just like a really popular thing. But then, you know, we're looking for like diversity we're looking for like different kinds of moms we're looking for dad bloggers because there are so few so we're looking to kind of like fill niche gaps in the market and we're looking at you know what our clients are coming to us asking for so if they're saying like hey we want a ton of like cool girl fashion like great we probably need to like stack up a few more people in that category or we're aware of like okay we're coming through to the new year we probably need a couple more like lifestyle fitness bloggers who are going to be really popular after the holidays um so it's we we want to have talent who can be complementary to one another but yet are not competitive so we don't want to have like two girls exactly the same doing the exact same thing unless one of them is like you know, has a really high audience and another one has a lower. So we can kind of have like a high low option for clients. So I think that's important. And I I think, you know, we have, we certainly have a good mix of that. Yeah. How do you identify what niches you want to go into? You mentioned that brands will come to you with something with a specific influencer mind and you'll say, oh, it doesn't fit for them, but maybe it'll fit for this specific person. Do you look for new talent with an eye towards, we don't have any, one in this sphere that we can offer a brand, we should look for this person? For sure. Um, so with Shine, we have, uh, I want to say 60 to 70 talent right now who we represent in an exclusive capacity. So that means if you as a brand reached out to them directly, you would be circled back around to us. That's what exclusive representation means. But we have a whole heap of talent who are kind of, I'll say like on the peripheral of that, where they would, you know, we don't represent them in an exclusive capacity, but if a brand comes to us and says like, Hey, I need like, I don't know, a mom who is like a specific nationality, who's based in Miami, who has two kids over the age of 12, for wow. example. That's so specific. Right. And, we, <laughs> right. and that like, we can get that specific. So then we can say, you know what, like we don't represent that exact person but we probably have them in our network so let us kind of just do like a quick dig into that like database of talent who we either have worked with who's applied for representation who you know I don't know another agency has worked with before that we know of so then that allows us to really support the client because we're able to say like yeah we like we don't have this person like exclusively but we'll find them for you. So your agency has been in the game for like a hot minute. Have brands started engaging in any different ways? It kind of feels like influencers are pretty new. And at the beginning, I've noticed people say that brands didn't really understand what influencers did or what their purpose was. For sure. I mean, no question. The conversations we have now with brands are vastly different to even a year ago. So we launched Shine um, around four years ago in Canada. So we're the only... um, agency doing talent management for social talent at that time. Wow. Um, there's a lot more now, which is fantastic because we kind of can collectively raise the bar. And especially in Canada, we have, um, you know, we have a whole um, group of agencies who we actually work really closely together with. So Shine has really spearheaded kind of like a, 
I'll, I'll call it an association of talent mm-hmm. management agencies, other agencies that we know who work in like a really ethical way, have amazing talent and kind of have the same kinds of, you know, morals in, in the business world that we do. And we work really closely together. So that said, you know, the conversations we had four years ago, my goodness, like mm-hmm. I can't even remember them. Like they're worlds <laughs> apart from the conversations we have now. Like one, there was no approval, which like baffles me to even think about. Um, we barely talked about analytics. People always asked what the ROI was. And we really had to like educate and convince brands that they had to use influencers as part of their marketing strategy. So what happens now, they already know that. So they, they're coming to us knowing that they want to work with influencers, typically with a budget. So I know when, when we launched in Canada and it's kind of, it's actually quite similar to how we launched um, the office in LA, which was around a year and a half ago. So gosh, like June of 2018, like what year is it? June of 2018, (laughs) we launched um, the office in LA, but just because we were getting more and more business in the US, it made sense to kind of have then like the East Coast, West Coast office with Toronto and LA. But funnily enough, where we thought the industry here in LA would be much more established at that point, we found that the tendency here, and again, especially in LA, there was a focus more towards like bigger, better celebrity style talent, whereas Shine has always really focused on more of the micro set. So that would be, you're looking at talent anywhere between, I'm going to say it, I'm going to give it a broad range, but say 10 to 250,000 followers, mm. give or take. So here where the tendency was even talent that we spoke to who might've had like say 50,000 followers, they'd say, oh, like, can I have an agent? Like oh. I, I thought I d- couldn't get an agent until I had half a million or a hundred thousand. And we'd be like, no, we see so much potential in what you're doing. We'd love to represent you. Like we, we think you've got the legs to like really take this. So let us do it with you. So we're having very similar conversations with brands and agencies about, you know, educating them on the space about why micro-influencers are such an important part of their marketing strategy. So what we did four years ago in Canada, we were doing pretty much the same thing in LA a year and a half ago, which shocked me. Um, But it was also kind of like, oh, we've done this before. So let's just roll that out again and, and off we go. And, and I think, again, it's changed pretty dramatically. Like, when we started, people were saying, like, we will never pay an influencer. Like, straight up, oh, wow. we will never pay an influencer. And we're like, okay. And then, you know, <laughs> like, a year later, I'm like, they, like, come knocking on the door. You're like, hello. Come in. Come in. <laughs> Let's chat. Remember <laughs> so, what you uh, said last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that happened a lot. Um, but that's, you know, that's the nature of the industry. And it's, whilst, I mean, yes, it's a new space. It's not a new tactic. So what I mean by that is that influencer relations, whilst it's this kind of like new name um, and it's like a, I don't want to say a fancy marketing term, but it's Mm -hmm. marketing jargon now. The tactic of influencer relations is not new. So it's just that the influence is different and it's digital. So where 10 years ago, what influenced us as consumers was print, for example. And maybe 20 years before that, it was broadcast. So when you look at, you know, as an example, like the movie E.T., like the original movie E.T. came (laughs) out in the 80s. You know how there's like the scene with like the Reese's Pieces. Mm. Reese's paid $1 million to be that chocolate provider, right? Oh, my God. So – that's influencer marketing because that is what influenced the consumer at the time. So now as marketers, we're looking, where are the consumers? 
how can we reach them? And it's on social. So that's where like this, as I said, this tactic is not new. It's just evolved, right? That's so funny. I feel like I look at movies, like older movies, and I'll be like, look at that product placement. It's so blatant. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? I know. It's funny. And, and I know we're getting into this whole space now of like disclosure as well, which is really important. And, you know, we, of course, work very closely with FTC and, and ad standards in Canada because, you know, we very much believe that consumers should be aware of when they're being marketed to. But when you look back, like, you know, when you watch E.T., <laughs> For example, <laughs> you're not seeing like hashtag ad like roll across the screen. So it's, it's it's a different space. And I think the bodies that govern those guidelines, you know, there's an understanding that consumers just know that that's a paid spot. Whereas on digital, I think they can get a little confused. So, you know, we want to make sure it it's blatant and it's clear. And, and I think there's, you know, there, there's certainly some... I don't want to say backlash because that's not exactly what it is. But I think, you know, people are like, oh, hashtag ad again, you're a sellout. <laughs> but I think that's where, again, it comes down to really cultivating that community because what I've seen now, like time and time again, is I, I've got to say it's my favorite thing to see in this space is that when one of our talent sign on to do a program and they announce it to their audience and they're like, hey, guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this. I am officially partnering with brand X you guys know how much I love this brand. So I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled to be partnering with them on this, you know, campaign program, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I see their audience respond like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Good for you. And they're thrilled for them because they understand that it's genuinely a part of their life. So that to me is like, in terms of like this sliding scale from like good to bad influencer content, there's the ones where you're saying like, you're a sellout, you're doing another ad to like, I'm so happy for you as a member of this community that you're able to partner with a brand that you truly adore. Yeah, I remember when like Bretman Rock did his collaboration with ColourPop and all of his fans were mm -hmm. just like, right. this is the most exciting Real. thing. I'm going to run out and buy this. And I think it really just kind of speaks to like the authenticity of his audience and the fact that 100%. they knew that he had used it before. Exactly. So you use a few terms that I wanted to ask you about. The first was a comment pod and the second was micro influencer. Okay. So comment, um, maybe I like said that funny, but comment pod. So <laughs> what happens is there's like a group of influencers and they all like kind of like band together. Like, okay, guys, when I post a photo, I'm going to put a note in this pod. Like it's like a mess, like a, a, a group message, let's call it. So they're like, I'm going to put a message in here and be like, hey, my post just went live. And all of the other, like, let's say 10 to 20 people in that pod <laughs> will jump in and be like, oh, my gosh, I love this photo. Cute hat. I love Ooh. it. Fire emoji. <laughs> um, so there'll be like a lot of that that goes on. So that what happens, and this is, again, like the forever battle to like beat the algorithm what they believe happens is that because, you know, 10 people comment within, say, the first 10 minutes of that photo being posted, it gets pushed up to the top of, like, you know, the Instagram algorithm. So more of your audience will actually see it. Mm. So that's that's the idea behind it. But again, what happens is that, like, they're and, – and I don't say they're not real people. They absolutely are. I guess my thought on it and my, you know, the way I prefer to operate – is that if these are people who you're, you know, genuinely friends with, they would just comment on your post because they actually like it, not because <laughs> you've you forced them to. So that's like, I don't know. I guess maybe that's the kind of friendships that I prefer to be a part of. But, uh, but yeah, I also so would love my friends. More, 
organically right? comments on my things. <laughs> exactly. You don't make, you better post about this. Like we're not having brunch on Sunday. Like, it's over. <laughs> so, <laughs> and again, like I feel like I can see it. Like when I, when I scan through someone's content, like one, I see like the same people commenting regularly, but it's the same kind of comment where it's, it's, you know, it's pretty empty. So that's a comment pod. And then micro-influencer. So there are so many terms that people use for influencers now. Again, this is kind of coming back to how I said it is the Wild West (laughs) and there's no standardization. So not only do different agencies have different terms, but different numbers for each term. So like whilst I say like we would look at micro as, you know, say let's say 10 to 100K, 1,000 followers. Someone else might say micro is 10 to 50. Someone else might say it's 10 to a million. Who knows? Um, So everyone kind of has different guidelines of what that looks like to them and their agency. Other times it's called nano influencers. There's macro, there's mid-tier macro. Like honestly, like it's all over. So what we try to do now, like when we're doing a proposal, for example, for a client, we're listing out what that means. Because not only like do you have to be pretty educated in the influencer marketing space to understand it, but no one even has the same regulations for each term. So like you would literally never know. So that's like we try to be very clear about it so that people have an understanding of like what that looks like to us. I feel like that's part of why so many people kind of turn their nose up at influencing is I think a yeah. lot of us just fundamentally don't understand what's happening. Yeah, it's, it's confusing. It, it really is. And like I think like aside from the numbers, we like to look at a micro-influencer as someone who like you genuinely feel a connection with. You're not feeling actually connected to a Kardashian if you're following them <laughs> online. I mean, maybe you are. I don't. Know. I, don't. I don't. I'm so um, close but, to them. <laughs> right? <laughs> so what we find is that a micro-influencer is someone more that like you see it. They're, they're somewhat aspirational, but it's very relatable. So they're buying brands like you could afford. They're buying beauty products that you could go out and buy at Sephora or somewhere like that or maybe a drugstore. But you feel like what they're doing is fairly attainable. They're not like you know, like flying around in private jets and are like mm-hmm. on like yachts around the Mediterranean. Like that's not necessarily what's happening, but they might buy like a really cute blazer that you're like, oh, I could afford that. It's from Zara or something like that. So you'd kind of look at them as like, you know, you're like older sisters, like cool friend, that, that kind of vibe. Like I mm. know them, but like, it's kind of like, a couple of degrees of separation. So you told me you started off in traditional talent management in Australia. I'm curious about your transition to social talent management and kind of what the difference has been. For one, the transition was completely non-intentional. <laughs> um, I, I, when I moved to Toronto, I totally anticipated that I would go back to like working TV and be very much in the traditional space. Unfortunately, when I got to Toronto, no one would hire me. <laughs> so, so that was, a bit of a, that was my first challenge. And I was like, it's okay. Like I, I'm good. Like I'll be fine. And by just like pure fate, um, I met my now business partner, Emily, and, you know, we we did start a PR agency together, which I feel is more, you know, in the traditional space. But not long after we started that, we really saw this, um, you know, this kind of space opening up for social talent. Um, we're in Toronto. We, you know, social media were kind of seen as like, I don't even want to say big list. I'm talking like D E F list when it comes <laughs> to like media. So we saw that, but we also really saw potential in them. And we saw that brands were wanting to work with them, but it was really difficult to navigate like how to do that. So we would, you know, we talked to a lot of 
influencers. We talked to a lot of brands and agencies. And for both sides, we said, like, what do you need? And the talent was saying, we don't know what our value is. We don't know how to, you know, ask for money. It's awkward. And they, the brands are saying they won't pay us. And the brands were saying, you know, the influencers don't really understand how to deliver the key messages that our clients need. And they can be really, really challenging to deal with. So we're like, okay, there seems like a really nice space where we can just like plop ourselves right in the middle and service both sides here. So that's what we did. Um, And again, you know, this was just kind of by product of there was an opportunity there at the time and we, we jumped on it. So that's how Shine started. And, you know, we launched in Toronto in 2015 with 15 or 20 talent, maybe. But Emily and I, we're both from publicity and marketing backgrounds. So we launched loudly and made sure that everyone knew who we were and what we were doing. Um, and it was really well received. So I think, you know, we got we got a lot of work straight away. We signed a lot of amazing talent straight away, many of whom are still with us and I adore. So yeah, that was kind of my accidental transition mm-hmm. from traditional to uh, from traditional to digital or like new media, I guess, as we'll call it. Television was just like absolutely, without question, the best place for me to learn. I credit what I'm able to do now with with that training that I had for, with some like amazing bosses and and people who like allowed us to like, you know, be be creative, but pushed us really hard. It's a bit of a sink or swim mentality. So I think it, you know, it taught me, you know, how to like turn a no into a yes and and how to be okay with a no and how to look for opportunity within challenges. And I think, you know, that's where Emily and I are both so aligned and and we're able to do that with Shine. So, you know, it's been really important and, and a really valuable asset. That mentality seems very important for the Wild West of influencer industry. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely is. Zooming into the micro, what's your day to day look like? Oh my goodness. Like, what doesn't it look like? It's, uh, it's, I think like for me now, so I don't do really any of the day-to-day talent management. So I'll more be jumping into like put out fires. So, you know, there's things that, that happen where, you know, like a brief wasn't followed correctly or a brief was followed perfectly, but the client just doesn't like it. So we're kind of trying to go through that process. But certainly now, like what I'm looking at most is like, ways that shine is expanding and what additional offerings we can bring to our talent. So while social obviously is, you know, first and foremost, and it's where we play, you know, we're looking at ways now that, you know, we're like, how do we expand beyond that for our talent? So we're looking at like, you know, some of our talent are looking at book deals. Some of our talent are developing product lines. Some of our talent we're doing uh, producing live speaking tours for. So things like that, not only are they off social, but they also give the talent a chance like really connect with their audience in a different kind of way. So that's where my focus is. And as I said, I've kind of been bouncing between the office in Toronto and LA to be kind of simultaneously building both teams, um, which is a lot of fun and I love. But yeah, the days are the days are varied. And then there's like the boring stuff, right? Like <laughs> we spend hours like, you know, on the phone with our accountants and lawyers and you know, it's not exciting. I didn't want to tell you about it. You'll be so bored. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, but that's like, that's every job, right? Like there's things that go along with them. They're like, they're not fun. Like I think, you know, this industry, like we have so much fun with it, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, and, you know, there's just like general stuff with talent. And, and I think for me and and my business partner, like we, we want to be integrated and, and to understand what's really going on. So, you know, I also want to be like, 
hopping on calls with our talent, just like doing a check-in. And like some of our talent have been with us for like four years in, mm-hmm. in Canada or, you know, a year and a half here in LA. So like those talent, like I so appreciate their support and loyalty. And I, I want them to know that like, I also spend like, you know, two hours a day watching Instagram stories, like minimum. <laughs> wow. Like, <laughs> I watch each of their stories. And like, I'm also like, I've learned this from like the young girls on our team. They're like, Jess, you comment on like all of our stories. I'm like, is that not cool? Oh, no. They're like, it's kind of like how when your mom comments on your Facebook post, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a loser. I didn't know. So that's what I do with my time. Um, So, so yeah, I do a lot of that. But, yeah, I think, you know, as I said, it's so varied. And, you know, some of it is like jumping and putting out fires. Some of it is like the boring business accounting side. Some of it, like the most fun part is, is growth and strategy for that. And I think that's what, you know, we're starting to dive into now, of course, for 2020. Like, what do we want to achieve here? And, and, you know, looking to our talent as well, what do they want and how can we be better every day? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming when you started, you were kind of doing more of the day-to-day talent management, like on the ground. Do you miss that? There's some things I miss from the beginning. There's some things that I don't. Like when we started, I did the accounting, which is not good. Like <laughs> I should not have been doing that. I actually like, I enjoy numbers. I, I really love that side of the business, but like, I'm not a CPA. Like, <laughs> I, or, like I'm not a CA. Like I, that's not, that shouldn't be my role, nor is it like the best use of my time. The talent management, I like, I miss the day-to-day, but I often jump in on that when someone's on vacation. So I kind of get enough of that to like get my fix and then hop back out. So I like that. But I think, you know, certainly like so much has changed from the beginning. Like we were just talking about this today in our meeting actually um, with one of our team members. We used to have like a team of like four of us. We worked from my condo. Like it was like, it was so bare bones and so scrappy. And I love that. And I think that, you know, like our team has grown exponentially since then. And like, you know, we have three offices, we have a team of 13 or 14 now. And, and I love that growth, but I love that um, my business partner and I, we're still scrappy. And like, we, we still want to like, we're involved. Like if you come to a shine event, Emily and I will be the ones like cleaning the floors. Like we are never like above doing things like that. And, and I really hope that, you know, I, sorry, I know that our team sees that and appreciates that. They're not like, we won't just kind of offload a shitty task. Like we're there and we're in the trenches with them. So I think, you know, that's, that's important. And I think I, I always want to stay very connected to the team. And, and as we grow, that's the team and the talent. And I think as we grow, it gets harder with the talent. Like I look back now to when we started and I know that I knew like for every talent who we had in Canada, I knew, obviously I knew them well, but I knew like their partner's names, their dog's names, their kids' names. Like I was like in their lives. Like I really (laughs) knew it. So as we grow now, like I still know a lot. Like I, I will give myself some credit for it, but I'm like, what's that person's cat's name? <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know as much as I did. So that sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm like, should I be more involved in that? But you can't, like there's only so many hours in a day and and you can't do every single part of the business. And we've learned really well, I think by now to outsource. And, you know, it's been our Achilles heel at times, like just finding the right team and the right combination of people who understand 
us and our business and the way we want to operate, especially with it being like a relatively new space. So that's been that's been like a huge challenge. There's no question. But I think it allows us to focus on growth and strategy. And I think we have to keep doing that. That's our responsibility as founders to do that for our talent and our team to make sure this company is really strong and moving forward. Learning how to delegate tasks seems like kind of one of the biggest challenges when you start a business from the ground up. What are some of the other challenges that you feel like you've either faced and overcome or you kind of look back and you're like, ooh, if only I'd known what I know now? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like delegating is is hard. And I think especially when, you know, this is this is your baby. But, you know, I think we've done a good job at it. And I I will say it's given me such great insight to how our talent feel. Because when when we're signing new talent, we're basically saying, like, you can hand this over to us, like, with just like blind trust. Like, we got you. And they're kind of like, Do you? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you're good. And but they're like, this is something they built. And as I said, like, this is something they have built. It's their business. And we, like, we're coming on to kind of be, like, part-time custodians of that. So I don't take that lightly. And I think that allows me to, like, really connect with them because, like, I get it. Like, if someone said, like, let me just take over, like, this big chunk of shine and, like, we've got our like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I, I would be terrible if someone said that to me. So I think that gives me, like, a good understanding of where they're coming from. So, like, that's been a challenge. The other challenge, it's, like, this is a hard job to do. Like talent management is really challenging. One, it's hard for us to hire because not many people have done the job before because it's a new industry. So you may have done talent management, you know, for actors or models, but it's different because as I said, it's more of like, it's an accolade to have an agent. And I think it's, as I said, it's getting that way in social, but it's still a little bit different. So I think finding people who are the right fit is really hard I think if this is a space that you're good at and you love it and you live and breathe social, it's so easy. But if it's not, it's so hard. <laughs> so it kind of swings. So that's been a challenge, I think, for us, um, like as leaders of the company, like, you know, there have been times that like, and again, like this is something we we started. So like, it's so personal. And, and there have been times where like, you know, like team members have left, or, like started a competitive agency and things like that, where, you know, people will say to us, like, don't take it to heart. Like, it's just business. I'm like, no, like, it's not. Like, it's 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 really personal. And we've, we have team members who we truly treat as family. And and I love that. Like, I, the main thing we wanted to do when we started Shine was, like, run a business that was, like, led in kindness. And, and that I'm so proud of the fact that we still are in that space. And it's so important. And it, it really is kind of like the you know, the cornerstone of, of this company, both with talent, with clients, with staff, like it is there in everything that we do and in every decision that we make. So there are times that that is tested, like mm. really, really big time. <laughs> and that's hard because you, you don't want to get like, you know, people say like, don't connect yourself to it. But I'm like, it's, it's like a part of my body. Like it's, it's a company that we built and it's really important to us. So, you know, we've, we've looked at so many decisions that we've made and we're like, should we have made a different decision? Like, did we mess this up? And we're like, well, yeah, like we could have been way harder. We could have been tougher on this, but like, is that the way we want to operate? No. And I think a lot of the time, like people confuse kindness for weakness. And that is like, absolutely not how we operate. We're not 
weak in that way. But I think kindness can kind of get confused and muddled in there. So, you know, there have been times where, for, like, you know, we've, we've need to let a staff member go because it's not the right fit. And I think they they always know that as well. But instead of being, you know, you're done, you have two weeks, like we've kept staff members around until they've like found other jobs and things like that. And, and I think for that reason, we have great relationships with them. And I love, like, I'm so beyond proud of that. But at the same time, it's a huge challenge because like, it tears at your emotions and and it's, you know, you're so connected to it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So you and your co-founder are both women. And something that I feel like I've come across in planning out this season is the influencer space seems like very kind of gender inflected. Like there's just like a lot of, this feels like kind of like a women's space at times. Have yeah, you noticed that? a lot of that? ladies. Yeah. Why oh, yeah. do you think that is? <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, absolutely female dominated, which I mean, I think is cool. I'm like we can take one space. It's female dominated, right? <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> so I love that. But I think, you know, for us, like, as I, I mentioned before, like we're looking for like, we, we're always looking for like amazing dad bloggers and male bloggers. I think dads, especially because like mommy bloggers, I feel like mommy bloggers, like the OG of the blogging world. Like <laughs> they were like, they're at the birth, like they're on it, but there aren't that many dads. And I think it's, you know, I see that changing in just like marketing language now. And, and, you know, like we were writing a proposal the other day and someone had written it out and it was all about like self-care and like moms need to take a break. I'm like, yeah, but like, let's bring dads into the conversation. Like, let's like, I don't even want to say moms or dads. Like I want to focus on like parents because like every family is so different. And, and I think we should be cognizant of representing everyone. Like we just, we just brought on someone um, in Toronto, the dad diaries, who's, you know, like a single dad by choice of twins, like through a surrogate, like it's super cool. And like, there aren't many people who are like that. And he's really like such a voice for dads, but like moms connect with him too. So we want to represent men, like absolutely. But shine very much like we were, <laughs> it was one of the the biggest criticisms I think that we got in the beginning so many people said to us, and mostly women, um, you know, you're too shiny, it's too feminine, it's too girly. And we're like, well, we are feminine, like we're women. So like, <laughs> yeah, like this this brand is a representation of us as the founders. And that's what we wanted it to be. Like we we wanted it to be something that people could connect with. And I think we saw that like almost instantly because when we launched Shine, um, we launched obviously with an Instagram account and straight away, like it was maybe like a couple of weeks after we launched Shine PR back in like January, 2015. And we started getting emails from young girls, like young college students saying, Hey, I want to be a part of Shine. Can I intern? Can I get 
coffees? Can I do anything? I want to be involved. And we never were posting on social about like our client work. It was more about the brand and the lifestyle of Shine. So if you like, I mean, it's still like very apparent on our Shine PR Instagram page, but like you're not seeing like, this is the client work that we did. You're seeing like photos of ponies wearing flower crowns and like (laughs) beautiful like food floral tables. Like they're all these like cute quotes about kindness and things like that. And that's like, we wanted people to know like, this is who we are and what we stand for as a brand. And yes, it's feminine, but it's not like girly and casual. We're like, we're very serious about what we do, but that doesn't mean that you can't have fun with it. So that was the kind of brand that we wanted to to build for ourselves. And I think that's polarizing. It, it always is, but we were, we were very aware that we would attract clients. And when we did, they were the right kind of clients and they got us and we got them. And I think that's kind of the perfect relationship between agency and client. So what's one thing about your job that you feel like most people don't understand that you wish they did? You know what? I'm going to put on onto the talent side. And I think People don't understand how much work goes into what influencers and and content creators do. Whereas I think, you know, a lot of people look and like, oh, just take a selfie. Like, no, like these are talent. And I, I obviously I can only speak for the talent who we work with, but I see what goes into the content they produce and they are, you know, they're developing mood boards, they're buying props, they're hiring photographers, they're, they're art directing their own shoots. And so much time goes into that. And then of course, after the shot is done, they're editing it, they're posting it, and then they're engaging with their community. So what we think is like, oh, just pop up a quick Insta post is so labor intensive. Um, And, you know, we see like one of our girls, Grace, does these like amazing elaborate shoots. Like they're so creative and so cool, but like the hours that go into them are out of this world. So I think a lot of people don't don't really understand that. And they see the beautiful photo at the end, which is the outcome, but not all of the work that's gone into it. That's an answer that a lot of people have kind of told me is they're like, I am paid to make it look easy, but it is not. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I will say that for Shine as well. Like I've I've seen that and and I think like I take it as a compliment now, whereas in the past it would bug me. But now I'm like, it's a good thing that we can make this look easy. It's like that analogy, right? Of a duck, just like gliding across water and their feet are going a million miles an hour behind, you know, underneath them. Um, (laughs) But that's like, that's the messy bit. And people don't necessarily need to see that, but they can, you know, we can kind of just like share the magic parts, which is fun. (laughs) Well, cool. Thank you so much for joining me, Jess. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This was a fun one. That's it for this season of Working. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Rachel Hampton. Special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. Thank you so much to our producer, Jessamyn Molly. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can reach us at working at slate.com.